Lance Wheeler's mastermind pitching program. Great scientific principle, phenomenal. More awareness of how your, how your body moves and how it needs to move to increase your velocity. The work that Lance is doing is outstanding. He's going to teach you how to take ownership of your own career, and uh, when it comes down to it, that's what really matters when you're in the heat of the game and uh, you have to self-coach. So you're going to get something that you're not going to get with other guys, and I can't recommend it enough. So you've mentioned a lot about the nervous system, and, and you've mentioned uh, you know, focusing on different body parts. How does the nervous system relate to pitching mechanics? I mean, really, what is the nervous system and, and what's its role in pitching mechanics? And before you make that, uh, before you answer that, there was one thing that you said a long time ago, and I, it absolutely blew me away. I thought it was, was, was genius. And that was uh, with all the Japanese and the foreign pitchers, they would, they would come in and, and you were seeing some injuries. And, and everyone, of course, started looking at pitch counts. They started looking at their routine. And there was all these different theories and, and philosophies. Why do you think that some of the Japanese pitchers and, or foreign pitchers were getting injured and then just your, your talk or point of view on the nervous system and its role in, in pitching mechanics and, and developing pitchers? Um, you know, I, I'm not, I don't claim to have any great insight as to why Japanese pitchers are, you know, get injured. I mean, their, their routines are so much different. I mean, people, you know, from what I understand and know, you know, typically they're on a, you know, seven-day rotation, um, which I think plays into it. Uh, but on the other hand, you hear hear that they, you know, they'll pitch 200 innings in a, you know, they'll pitch 220 innings in the game, um, you know, or 200 pitches, I should say. Um, I, 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 myself personally, about the Japanese pitchers, I think the same thing that has happened to the American pitchers uh, here in the United States in terms of injury problems. I think that. From a Japanese standpoint, they're coming into a situation where the level of expertise, the level that they're facing in terms of competition batters is higher, and therefore they have to expend more effort. Uh, you know, in terms of they they have to, it, it's more stressful not only physically but mentally on their on their body nervous system. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why they break down. It's the same thing with high level. You know, I think I saw not uh, on the on the other day that. What I think ten years ago, the average velocity in major leagues was about what eighty-nine miles an hour, and today it's like ninety-one or ninety-two. Um, and the problem is, is that it, you know it's, it's like a space race. You know, it's the hitters, you know, getting a little bit better, or uh, your technology, and the pitchers have to keep up with them. And pitchers are trying to throw harder, and there's a limit. You know, there's a limit on you know the there's a limit that each player has in terms of how hard they can throw or how long they can throw. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, there's no, I don't have a, you know, I don't have what I, an ironclad answer to anything. I just believe that, you know, the problem is, one of the problems is it goes back to, we've got, we're, if we're pushing our body to the highest levels in terms of performance, trying to get all the muscles to do it every time you throw a baseball becomes problematic. I, I think there's, there's some interesting things that I've seen where a player, you know, UCL injuries are an interesting. I, there's a paper that I was trying to put together a while back. UCL injuries are interesting because one theory is, is that it's, it's, a, it's an overuse injury, injury. But on the same token, you, read, you hear a lot of instances where people have an UCL injury 
which is a sudden catastrophic event. You know, there's a pot they feel or whatever. And that to me speaks to the fact that at any given time, it's like getting a cramp or whatever. At any given time, there's a potential that a muscle group may misfire. And if it misfires, it potentially puts a lot of stress on other parts of the body. So I'm, I'm not sure if we'll answer the answer your question. It's just, you know, I'm not sure exactly what you're looking for other than the fact that the nervous system coordinating all these muscles in an event that's as fast and dynamic as throwing a baseball is, is there's a potential for a misfire every once in a while, which may cause an injury. No, no you nailed it. You nailed it. It goes back, and, and, I, and I guess I'll go ahead and put the words in your mouth right here, but your, your thoughts on everything affects everything, uh, the butterfly effect and how pitching is, mechanics are just chaos. Well, that's, that comes, that's okay. It, it, like I say, this goes back to, yes, the coordination. In other words, that how you start something, you never, well, it goes back to what I said at the very beginning. It's about the blacksmith swinging the hammer. You never use the same muscle coordination each time, but you end up with the same result. And the problem is that there's always the opportunity for one, something to misfire and end up with, potentially a catastrophic situation. I, see, I'm, I, I'm, I, I don't buy into a lot of what people are talking about in terms of pitch counts and, and you got to rest and so on and so forth because it's just too much from the, on the other side that says, you know, that this, there's other things going on that people are missing possibly. Uh, no question about it. I mean, it's just, just so different for everybody. So when we start to think about everything affects everything, and just the butterfly effect, what role does the center part of your body, what role does it play in pitching mechanics for good or bad? And that's what you refer to as the center well, mass. Well, the center, the center of mass is how we function in the world from a standpoint of movement. In other words, you know, from day one, we're trying to manage the center of mass. And we, you know, think of, think of your son and now with your latest, Arrival, your 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 newest. It's a daughter. It's a girl, right? Your your newest daughter. Yeah, it's a linebacker. The linebacker. Um, watch her when she is learning how to walk and 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 use the body in a more of an upright position. It's basically learning how to control the center of mass. And from day one, that's been the cha- that's our challenge is to control the center of mass. And we get pretty good at it. You know, one 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 way that I describe it is. You know, in your bedroom at night, the lights are out, you, it's pitch black, yet you can maneuver over to the light switch. And the reason you can do that is because you have a predefined autopilot that's built into your body that controls the center of mass. You know, when you're walking in that pitch black room, what you're doing is you're controlling the center of mass. You're, you, you're, it's like it's on, you've got this trajectory that you have programmed into your body to move the center of mass. And so, you know, most of what we do athletically is all about controlling the center of mass. So with the center of mass, that, that's the top of the thigh of the belly button. Is that right? I'm sorry. Yes. It's a, it's a center. It's the point where you can, in theory, from a balance standpoint, where you can concentrate the entire body. And I think a lot of people that are listening, a lot of people refer to that as, as the core. Is, is that the area that you're talking about? 
Well, yeah, I mean, the core to me has a little different meaning. The center of mass is basically where you could balance the entire body on the point of a, of a needle or something, if you follow what I'm saying. Absolutely, absolutely. And there was, there was something that was that area, but more importantly, it was, it was the hips. But I'd seen a, a major league study that showed that, I believe it was 44.4% of all major league guys that had been on the, the DL had a deficiency uh, had tested for deficiency inside the hip region. So that just goes back to show just how important the center part of your body is and that uh, if, if you're locked up or if you can't move, or if there's something misfiring, how that ends up affecting the arm. And it, everything goes back to exactly what you've, you've been talking about these last well, 43 minutes. Well, when you're talking about – here's the thing. If you talk, there's two ways you can look at center mass. I look at center mass as far as, as, as how the body, what you're doing – if you're doing a throwing activity, a swinging activity, you're, a lot of what you're doing is to maintain a equilibrium position around the center of mass of the body. But what you're ta- I think part of what you're talking about is the core of the body, meaning uh, the, the mass, the mass of the body from a momentum standpoint. Um, to me, they're, they're two different things. You know, center of mass to me is, and if you look at literature, science, you know, movement literature. Has to do more with how the body maintains balance and, and movement, balance movement. The core, from the standpoint of, but from the standpoint of throwing a baseball, what you're looking at is the mass of the body, meaning the and and, and meaning the, you know, what, when you're trying to, when you're throwing a baseball, it's a momentum event, and so the mass, the larger body parts, starting with the core of the body, becomes very important in terms of how you move that part of the body to create momentum and then transfer that momentum to the baseball. Uh, and get into some, some other concepts or terms that you've coined. One was obviously, and, and you see this everywhere, as I mentioned, was the intent to throw hard. But another concept was was just the step over. And there's a lot, of, you see a lot of this on Twitter, and, and it's uh, a lot of you guys may not be familiar with what it is, and, and maybe Paul can elaborate, but uh, with a lot of high-level throwers, you're going to see the step over. And, and just talk a little bit about the step over. What is the step over, and how does that The step over over is simply a way of describing how the player maintains a loaded position such that they can unload the torso or unload the the lower part of the body. Um, You know, the the problem that most players have, pitchers have, and and probably 90% of the players that I see do this, is they as they wind as they go through their windup and then as they stride out, they open the hips up. They go into foot plant. The hips open up, and then there's a lag, a significant lag between the opening of the hips and the upper body coming around. In other words, they lose the momentum of the of the hips because what happens because any in 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 the sequence of throwing a baseball. What you want to do is you want always to connect the body segments at the highest velocity point of the previous segment. So what the step over move is about is maintaining a closed off position such that when you go into foot plant, you can quickly you quickly rotate the hips around and then the upper body connects shortly there or, or at the highest velocity point as opposed to sacrificing the hips, opening them up too soon and just gliding out with the hips open and then bringing the upper body around. 
the separable move is a way of keeping the body coiled or loaded so that you can uncoil it as you go into foot plant as opposed to throwing open the front foot, leg, whatever you want to call it, and opening the hips prematurely uh, and keeping them open while the upper body is still behind so you don't have any benefit of picking up the hip velocity at its maximum point so that you can transfer it to the upper torso. So with the step up, and you've said this, and I've seen it myself, um, so guys out there that aren't familiar with the step over, a lot of high-level throwers, what did you call it? You said they would show the sole of the foot, and by showing the sole of the foot, not only would it, would it help keep that front hip from opening, uh, or partial sole, rather, not would only keep that front hip from opening too soon, but I've also noticed how it serves almost as a counterbalance to, to the head and, and allows for rotation later, but also a softer landing. Is is that what the step over is? If you were to give a visual yeah, is, and paint a picture, what would it look like? Well, you know, where I, one of the best examples I've shown on, on the website of a step over was Bob Feller pitching out of a stretch, where he, he could look as he's going out, he's got his toe pointed directly down, showing, uh, you know, totally showing the bottom of his foot. And just before foot plant, he then, then the front knee opens up. And it rapidly, and everything just rapidly rotates and connects. So one of the reasons for the separable move is, to, you know, just like they stay coiled. The pelvic, you know, I, I talked about the concept of pelvic loading. Is you, you stay loaded, and then you rapidly open up, and everything follows then. And you know, the problem is that most pitches open up way too soon. They open up way before foot plant. They go into foot plant. Everything's open, and the body is still lagging behind. And then they put all of the, all of the effort, all, all of the growing uh, uh, responsibility on the upper body without gaining any benefit of the lower body. So by showing the sole of the foot, that's a, that's a way of mechanically keeping yourself closed off so that you can then rapidly open up as you go into foot plan. You touched on a point, and this is a, a common buzzword nowadays, is connection. I think a lot of guys miss the boat when referring to connection. Uh, connection, it, it's not the static point of, hey, this body, this body part's here, when the foot lands or this, what, what is connection and how, you know, if you could just discuss what you've shared pitch Palooza with, with your theory of connection and how momentum is harvested and, and it continues to go from one body part to the next. The key concept, they also call it, if you look in literature, it's called the summation of speed principle. And the, the connection, summation of speed, go, you know, they all really referring to the same same thing. You, what you're trying to do, uh, the way that a whip works, the principle of a whip works, is that you have larger mass moving slowly, which then transfers momentum to smaller mass, which, which uh, conservation momentum then will state that, or, will forces, or what happens is the conservation momentum principle causes the same amount of momentum being transferred, but from a larger mass to a smaller mass, momentum is the product of a lot mass times velocity, so the smaller mass gets faster, and then it transfers to a smaller mass, which gets faster, which transfers to a smaller mass, which gets faster. That's exactly what's going on when you throw the baseball. The larger mass starts with the lower part of the body, legs, and then works its way up to the hips, to the upper torso. So what you're trying to do always is transfer momentum and momentum is movement and speed, speed of movement and mass of movement. So you're, you're moving from the, the larger mass, which is the lower body, to the smaller mass, which is the upper body. Uh, and you're always trying to do this at the point where the previous segment is moving at its fastest points. Because as soon as you hook up to that segment, you're going to slow it down 
the previous segment slowing down is going to cause the next segment to speed up. And, and I didn't mean to interrupt so you there, but uh, you're, I'm sitting here thinking as, as, as a listener, and, and that's probably a key component why everybody highlights the importance of, of hip-shoulder separation. didn't mean to, to cut you off right there, but I'm thinking out loud when I say this, and I'll let you get back to it. Yeah, but what you have to understand, see, the, the body is different than, uh, the, the difference between a whip, uh, a true whip and the body is that we have muscles, and that gives us a tremendous advantage from the standpoint is we can we can dynamically connect to a previous body segment by allowing the muscles to turn on, to contract, or to, to stiffen up. So what we're trying to do is, as the hips reach the maximum velocity, then we want the muscles of the midsection, mid-torso, to connect and be dragged along and be contracting at the same time because the combination of connecting and then contracting will then speed up the next that segment. And that goes up the chain from the, from the legs to the hips to the mid-torso to the upper shoulders, which then works its way out to the arm. But all this has to be done very, very precisely in terms of not losing that momentum of the previous section. And that's what connection is about. Connection is simply the fact that you're connecting. It's not connection, simply connection, the word connection. What it is, you're connecting at a certain point in time to the previous segment of the body's movement. So there's no way to, to judge or evaluate connection based on a static picture of where a guy's elbow or hand is? No. No, it's a dynamic event. You can't, I mean, in, in some ways you can sort of get an idea, but because there's, you know, there are certain points in delivery where you can say, well, the hips are just opening and the upper torso, um, you know, you can sort of get sort of a picture, but not really. Not, not, a, not a good, not a definitive one. Um, and then some other notes that I had, and, and just going over uh, with all the talk about arm injuries and arm health, um, and you discussed the role and how everything affects everything. Uh, another popular concept is just pronation, uh, and that's where the the pitcher will actually over-exaggerate, turning the thumb down and, and the forearm uh, facing away. But what's your thoughts on pronation, and does it work? I mean, what's actually pronating? What Just your overall Paul Nyman-esque thoughts on pronation. I, first of all, I think, that a lot of what pronation is about is, 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 is not under the conscious control of the player. Um, if you look at, if you look at high speed video of high level pitches throwing the baseball, um, you'll see that, you'll see that what pronation, pron, pronation is happening just about on every time, on every pitch that they throw, whether they're trying to pronate or not. I mean, you know, they throw a fastball, throw a curveball. You know, I think the best example is they throw a curveball and they're still pronating, um, where you think that they are supinating with a curveball. The, 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 where I think a significant part of pronation comes from when they, when you're not, when you're throwing a baseball hard, and not, you know, I mean, you look at some of these players, pitchers, especially some of the old timers. They, did, I don't think they knew what pronation was. I don't think the word existed back then. I mean, at least not in their vocabulary, and yet they pronated. So the question is, is why? How were they pronating back then when they nobody cared or knew about or, or thought about pronation? Pronation occurs because 
and just it's the same it's the same phenomena that you that develops external rotation. And it's our voluntary ability to develop external rotation. You know, if, if 90 degrees is with our forearm straight up, we can get about 110, 120 degrees. But when you look at a baseball player, if you ask them to voluntarily go to an external rotation position of the arm, they probably get to 120 degrees, 100 or there. But when they actually throw the baseball, they're at 180 degrees. And it's because what's happening is, is they're actually the elasticity of the connective tissue. They're stretching that connective tissue. Well, the same thing's happening with coordination. When you when the arm is coming around, the 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 inertia of the arm and the and the baseball causes tissue to get stretched. And when the arm then comes around and releases, it recoils. And that's what you're seeing with that's what you're seeing a large part of what coordination is. It's a recoiling coming out of external rotation, where where you actually stretch the connective tissue and the tissue is rebounding again. Wow. So what so the so what I'm trying to say is that a lot of what pronation is about is simply a natural effect a natural consequence of throwing the baseball with, with effort. Uh, where, and, and as long as you're getting external rotation, you're going to get pronation because that's just the body rebounding from being stretched out. So the arm being so the arm connected the tissue in the arm rebounding from being stretched out as you're throwing the baseball. Well, I could go on for hours and hours, literally, um, and maybe next time we can get into the inverted W and some of the, uh, the other uh, topics on pitching, but we, we simply don't have enough time. But um, I just want to tell you thanks for, for coming on and being the first first guest. I wouldn't have had any other because you've had such an influence and an impact on, on my coaching career. And I just think it's important that my listeners understand that so much of my philosophy and what you read at Baseball Think Tank came from your work. And highly recommend everyone out there listening to uh, to do two things. Number one, start off by going to setpro.com. That's, that's Paul's site. Get a pencil and paper uh, and dedicate a notebook to it. I know I did because it's just going to blow your mind, the amount of high-level information that you're going to find in there. And then you're also going to find uh, several of Paul's articles on Baseball Think Tank backslash Paul-Nyman, N-Y-M-A-N. So highly recommend that you check that out. Go to uh, setpro.com. Make sure you enter your email address so you can get on Paul's list and, and do the same thing at Baseball Think Tank and, and spread the word because the information that Paul's providing, uh, it's – if, if you could learn this, if you've got a younger kid or you know others that have a younger kid, if you could start and, and follow his principles, I'm telling you, it's just going to make, make a world of difference because so much of the instruction out there that you see, personally, I believe, is backwards. And, and many times kids are better off with no instruction at all. And it kind of goes back to what Paul was saying earlier is his favorite guys were the old time guys and just think there were a time to where you had guys like Bob Feller and and all those big names that never once had a pitching lesson or any sort of pitching instruction it was always the intent to throw the ball hard and and figure it out on your own but we'll we'll have Paul later on but again make sure you visit setpro.com thanks guys mm-hmm.